This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. All right, we are here for one reason and one reason only. Best night of the week. What are we here for? We're here to elevate! Jesus! Oh, yeah. Elevate! Jesus! All right. With every word that we speak, we elevate! Jesus! With every social media post, elevate! Jesus! Man. This is a, I don't know, it's kind of a sentimental night. I love these grads. Got to see them for, for four years, actually to the day, which is amazing. Jackie sent me a picture of, Derek introducing us four years ago, and it's just like, whoa, that's crazy. Jack and I sat right here at the front. We were like, so we're here. <laughs> God did this, not us. Um, but uh, anyway, we have an awesome opportunity tonight. Our grads are going to take turns, um, a handful of them, and they're going to share some wisdom from their hearts, some of the favorite Bible verses that maybe carried them through hard times, and I look forward to hearing from each of them. So I'm not going to hog the stage I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way from them, and I want to welcome first a gentleman, you know Channing, and one of my favorite memories with Channing is it was at a conference, and we were sitting um, at one of the host homes afterwards, and there was a young man who was really wrestling with his faith, and I remember that he started pitching out questions, and Channing, over and over again, was almost the first one to meet him with that question with not only like an answer, but like a kind and a caring response to meet him where he was in his struggles. And it was really, it meant a lot to me, and I was proud of Channing. So, Channing, come on up and uh, share what's on your heart with us. Hello, guys. It is uh, great to be back here. I kind of left. I started going to a different youth group, but I'm definitely glad to be back here for this night. And um, I'm thankful for Dom for reaching out to me, even though I haven't been here in a while. It was uh, very sweet. So my scripture is Ephesians six nineteen through 20. And also for me, this is um, right after the armor of God uh, story. I don't know what to call it. Anyway, all those verses. And uh, Paul ends it with saying, And also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And um, that really just speaks volume uh, of Paul's character. Um, he was in prison at the time of writing in this, and that's where the whole ambassador in chains come through. And um, it's really just the faith we should all try to have. Um, I know a lot of time I let my circumstances get in the way of my faith, and uh that's not how it should be. I mean, Paul was in prison having the worst time of his life, but he still wanted to be considered an ambassador for the gospel. And uh, that's really one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it's one that I often think back to in times of my struggles because 
I mean, personally, I'm, I'm not in prison. It's not that bad. I can make it through. Um, but, yeah, just going back to those strong men of faith, they always inspire me. And uh, I'm oversharing a little bit, but this is just some wisdom I want to give. Um, get plugged in and stay in to anything you can because the last, uh, honestly, month of school and up until recently, I've unplugged myself from a lot of the good things that I was in. And I definitely noticed a huge change of my life. I've done a lot of not-so-great things that I'm not particularly proud of. But um, that's all because I unplugged myself. And this is my second point. Just be honest with yourself wherever you're at because that was my problem. I, uh, I lied to myself and said, oh, I'm just busy. But in reality, I wasn't busy. I just didn't want to. And uh, a lot of stuff like that. So just be honest with yourself. Um, always strive to be an ambassador for the gospel. Thank you, Channing. Next up for tonight is Maricela. And one of my, yeah, yeah she can come on up. Uh, one of my very favorite things about Maricela is I don't think she's ever had an enemy. Like everyone that she meets, she makes them feel special and cared about and connected with. And I know that if out in the game room someone is talking with her, that person is feeling cared about. And that's pretty special. So come on up, Maricela. guys. Um, So my favorite scripture is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So I use that verse in the context of everything in life. So I feel like we all have different types of craziness in our life. We all have different things going on, different lives, and say, what could be hard for me in life could be easy for someone else in life. And what could, what could be hard for someone in life, else in life could be easy for me in life. We, we're all on different paths, I guess you can say. And so, you know, y'all are in high school. Life gets kind of crazy. A lot of things change. It's crazy, all right? It's a crazy life. And so I remember a couple years ago, like everything felt like it was just spinning. And, you know, I was asking God, I was like, you know, why is this happening? Why this? Why that? And a phrase popped in my head, and it, the clear as day, and it said, lean not on your own understanding. And I was like, wait, I've heard that somewhere before. That's somewhere in the Bible. And so I looked it up, and sure enough, that verse came right up. And so, you know, I wrote it down, I had it on my wall, and I've held on to it for years. And till this day, it's my ride or die. And so when you look back to it, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With, you know, that saying, with all your heart. Like, you know, like say, I love swimming with all of my heart. When you love something with all your heart, you really love it. So when you have to trust in the Lord with all your heart, that says a lot. That's putting every single bit of your trust in God. That's a lot. And so, like, that part kind of highlighted me. I was reading it, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, that's a lot of trust. You know, you can't be in control all the time. And it says, in all your ways, submit to him and make your path straight and lean not on your own understanding. You know, sometimes you try to understand everything in life, and that's not always the case. You know, me, I like to have everything figured out. I like to think, oh, this, this, and this is going to happen, and this, this, and this is going to happen next. Boy, it's not like that. I hate to break it to you, but it's not like that. 
And so it was it was nice and refreshing to know that just to not lean on my own understanding because God has it and he's going to make my path straight. So no matter what happens in life, the thought that God has you, I feel like it, it impacts you a lot and it leave, relieves a lot of your stress and worry, you know, just to think that someone high above thinks about you and he's going to make your path straight. And so, yeah, that was just something cool for me and I wanted to share Hope you'll have fun in high school. Love you, Maricela. So next up is Bennett. And my favorite memory with Bennett, I don't know, I have several favorite memories, but I'll just give the first one that comes to mind, was whenever we had a torch over here, and it was full of lighter fluid and torch oil and everything, and we were doing this theme of the Olympics, and so it was supposed to be like the Olympic torch. It was so dangerous. And Bennett had a a running torch and he comes running in and we had it on video and he had to climb a chair because it was too high and at any moment it would turn over and set the worship team on fire <laughs> and stuck it in there and lit up beautifully put his arms in the air we all cheered it was it was a wonderful moment and no one died which is awesome yay for that track record in my life but uh bennett come on up look forward to hearing from you hello everybody um, this verse that I picked, I actually used in my speech for graduation. Um, it was a verse that had popped up a lot whenever I was graduating, and um, I'd heard it in a lot of different messages I'd been hearing late um, around that time. So this was probably about two or three months ago, maybe. Um, I don't know. My mind's kind of crazy. But anyway, James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And a lot of people wonder, like, why you need to consider these trials pure joy. And there's such a simple answer to this. God wants us to put our faith in him. And I believe that trusting in God was an important theme throughout the entire school year that I think everybody had this year, whether you were staying at home whether you were going to present classes, whether you, no matter what you were doing, even if you didn't do classes except for just on your computer, it proved difficult for everybody this year. Um, for adults, it proved difficult just through everything, teachers. So just throughout a year full of apprehension, God proved himself to be faithful. My class was blessed with an amazing year just because we had such this strong faith in him um, through the hurdle of all the restrictions and stuff. And all of our trials are going to be different and new trials are going to surface in our lives as we get older. But God's word never changes. He wants us to freely give our worries about these trials over to him because we know that he will work out everything for our good. Thank you. You rock, Bennett. So next is Lainey. And I have to admit, when I first met Lainey, I never pictured her to be on the worship team. And yet she's grown and blossomed and uh, such a cool girl. So glad that uh, you've walked through this, and I love talking with you afterwards about the stuff of God and everything. So, Lainey, come on up. You're great. Hey, y'all. Hi. So, my verse that I'm going to share with you guys is a little bit random. I found it when I was looking for verses to put on my graduation announcements because I thought it would be cool to have a verse on there. And it's Psalm 16, 8, and it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And when I heard that verse, I thought to myself, wow, that kind of like 
perfectly encapsulates like what I've been through in high school and like all these experiences I've had. And when I look back when I was first um, starting my walk with God and becoming a Christian, it was kind of marked with this really difficult death in my family. And it really, really shook me at that time. I was eighth grade. I was just getting to know the Lord and it really drew me close to him. You know, like I, I had to, um, I realized that he was at my right hand and with him, I wouldn't be shaken. He was my rock. He was my everything. And that really grew me in my faith and it strengthened me. And recently, like I went through all of high school growing closer to him. And I've, I've had another death in my family at the end of my high school career just this past week, actually. Um, and so I think back and I'm like, when you have a death of someone really close to you, you start thinking about eternity and you start thinking about the things that really matter to you and what's really important in your life. And all I can say is like high school, I want you guys to have the best experience and it's so much fun and I want you guys to have fun, but high school is not everything. High school is so temporary. It's four years of your life. And so I want you guys to make the most of it and focus on things that have eternal value, you know, focus on your friendships, um, godly friendships, godly mentors and community focus on evangelizing. Like if there's one thing I really wish that I would have done more in high school is evangelize to people. You know, God puts people in your heart all the time. You're in contact with people every day who don't know the Lord. And it just takes one little step of boldness. It doesn't even like you can do it really, really, um, like subtly. Yeah. You can do it really in a really subtle way. Just pull someone to the side and say, Hey, you know, like, do you know Jesus? Because I know Jesus and I really want to share him with you because I think that he could change your life because that's what he's done for me. Look what he's done in my life. You know, it's that easy. And going forward, I really want to make an effort to evangelize more. And that's my word of wisdom for you guys. And I hope you guys enjoy high school and just grow closer to the Lord through it. Next up is Elijah. Man, so one of my favorite memories with Elijah is we were trying to move a giant box from the ground up on top of the bathrooms. And it was so heavy, we couldn't carry it up ladders. So we had to rig up a pulley system and run a ladder across the whole hallway and lift it up above and set it on the ladder and then slide it across. the. It was, it was epic. But he took a picture of him laying under a speaker and said that I killed him and posted it everywhere. And it was hilarious. So anyway, come on up, Elijah. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> no, yeah, he said we rigged up a pulley system, but there was no pulley. <laughs> it was a pole between the beams with rope around it, which technically a pulley, but whatever. Um, so I'm going to answer two questions. Uh, the first question being, uh, what do you wish you had known before entering high school? Um, for me, I wish I had known, like really, really known, like, Put it into action to not procrastinate, uh, which is like everyone's going to tell you don't procrastinate, but how many of you are going to procrastinate, right? Yeah. Um, I always knew it uh, that it was bad. I always knew it was going to hurt me, but somehow I always did it because uh, I, I guess it's so easy. Uh, and, and in high school, you're going to be constantly tempted to do what's easy. Um, <laughs> my note, I'm currently writing this in the game room at 630. Uh, so if that's not procrastination... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, the worst place to procrastinate by far is with God. When you put off God or what God wants you to do, you start becoming an ineffective Christian, and that is stupidly dangerous. Um, 
that's probably the easiest way to procrastinate, in my opinion, is with your relationship with God and with your Christianity. My second question, what has the Lord taught you through high school? Um, for me, uh, you have to work for what you want. Um, God taught me to work hard and appreciate work. Any money that I've ever had came from God blessing me with a good job. Uh, and it's, it's that simple. Money's going to get you what you want in life, and God blesses you with the ability to get it, and you're going to be able to get it if you don't procrastinate. Um, the most important thing to work for, though, uh, is a fruitful relationship with God. If you want that, you have to be faithful in working for it. If you don't love God and want to work for a relationship with him, you won't get close to him. Um, okay, and then like a second thing that God taught me in high school um, is to read my Bible. Like if you won't read your Bible, you also won't get close to God. Uh, God taught me the importance of knowing that book over there that I didn't bring up here. <laughs> um, gosh, if you, if you want to be a Christian who truly is close to God, someone who's fruitful and will do work for him for the rest of your life, and you don't know your Bible, you can't do it. Um, so that's my advice to you. Read your Bible, stop procrastinating, and work your butt off in everything you do. And work for God. Love you guys. Thank you, Elijah. Love you. All right. Next is Tatum. And Tatum, I've got to say that uh, it warms my heart that almost every service you come up afterwards with further questions beyond whatever we talked about. And that is the kind of heart that is pursuing the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind too. And I wish all of us would be that way, that we would come humbly and say, there's a bunch of stuff I don't know, and I want to grow, and I want to know. And so that is a word to all of us to be just a little bit more like Tatum. So come on up. Hey, guys. So... The first question was, what do I wish I would have known before entering high school? And there's a lot I wish I would have known before entering high school. But the most important thing would have been how fast it goes by because I, like, could not wait to finish high school. I tried going to homeschool for two years to try to speed up the process. I was constantly just ready to be done, didn't like it, didn't like studying. I have dyslexia, so, like, I'm not good, like, I wasn't a good student. Um, and then I ended up coming home a Christian, and I made some good friends, and I had teachers who really believed in me, and um, now I really miss it because it went by really fast, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can drive. I'm going to college. We just graduated high school. Like, where did my childhood go, kind of? So just really enjoy it and take your time because it's as much as you want to get out right now, you're going to be so sad that day that you put on that cap and gown. Like, you really will. And I think I can speak for all of us who had to do it, you know. Um, and then what the Lord taught me through high school was, and this is not what I had planned to say, but um, as I was worshiping, he kind of reminded me um, that as I went through high school, I kind of, especially when I first gave my life to him, I tried to live my Christian life through other people, if that makes sense. Like, I was trying to, like, if I listened to a message by Sadie Robertson, I would listen to Sadie Robertson all the time, and that's all I would listen to because I thought that she 
was like what made me on fire for him, which that's not accurate. And that wasn't me being honest with myself or with God either because I wasn't having a relationship with him. I was having like, how do I put this? Like a, I wanted to be like her, if that makes sense. And the true, like what you should do is you should have a true relationship with him and that's just going to cause you to outwardly look different from the world. But you should never, ever try to make that your main thing. You should always just pursue him. And whenever you pursue him, you're going to look different. You're going to act different. And then other people are going to want to be like you. And then they're going to realize that they just want to be like Jesus because that's who you're trying to be like. So if I could go back and do it all again, that's all the things that I would know. And hope that you guys would take with you. And if I could take a little bit of your time, grads, I'd like to share a word with you guys that I hope would be encouraging, challenging, and uh, I don't know, I'm fired up about it. But let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this is all about you and not about me, that your word would be what's remembered Lord, if there's anything of me mixed into it, just cut it off. Overwhelm me with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This is also for everybody. I think we can all grab something out of this. But grads, it's you guys that I was thinking of as I was praying through this. But you guys are about to, for many of you, leave home. You're about to transition into something totally new. You're at least leaving your guardianship into being your own guardianship. Uh, In a lot of ways, you're leaving the nest, that proverbial nest. Um, The when of when that's going to happen is imminent. It's upon you. You are transitioning into adulthood. You're uh, jumping into something entirely new. You are leaving emotionally, psychologically, etc. But I'd like to ask you three challenging questions. And this is for all of us to, to think about. One is, as you are moving into this next season, you're leaving this season, why will you go? Where will you go? And how will you go? Why, where, and how? And just for all of us, just want to open up with this, these questions. Anybody here, were you forced to take online classes recently, this past year, year and a half? Anybody had to take online classes? Yeah? Did you have to cancel a, a special get-together because of COVID? Maybe it was birthday or a wedding or Thanksgiving or something like that. Anybody? Did you have to cancel something that was special to you? Um, did you ever get quarantined because someone that was close to you had COVID? Show of hands. Is anyone in here willing to admit that you had COVID? Yep, this guy. My smell is still wacko right now. Um, did any of you have to do the embarrassing turn in the parking lot because you left your stupid mask in the car? Anybody? Me? Yeah, me too. Um, did any of you go to bed feeling like you had wasted your days? The day has come and gone, and what was it for? Did anybody feel that way? And just on a really serious note, did anybody actually lose a loved one to COVID in the past year and a half? Anybody lose a loved one? Um, Boy, if you did, I'm I'm sorry. This has been a crazy time. You guys, no one in this room is a stranger to change, to flux, to unpredictability. Seniors, you are, or graduates, you are jumping into a whole world of unpredictability. In the next five to ten years, the trajectories of what you're going to do, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, what, where you're going to live, so many decisions, your first mortgage and buy-ins, like 
all of this is happening in the next five to 10 years. Like you are jumping into a season of complete and total flux and change and new stuff. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. And, and for me, it happened really fast. It was between 18 and 22. Every trajectory of my life was already set. And so God's going to move fast and God's going to move slow. But whenever he moves fast, get ready to go. Uh, my dad says it all the time. But you guys are no stranger to flux. And for you who serve Jesus, your whole life, all this change, everything that's thrown at you, every circumstance that's painful, your whole life is going to be God using these circumstances to mold you into being more like Jesus. He's going to take what's painful and he's going to use that to chisel off things of the old you so that he can replace that with his Holy Spirit and he's going to purify you and make you more like Jesus through the worst of times and through the best of times. He's going to take your celebrations and he's going to use that and he's going to take the, the pains and he's going to use those and this process is called sanctification. He is making you more like Jesus. But I want you to know that it's more than just perfectifying you. It's more than just making you good. Elevate. God is doing more in your life than just making you good. There's an illustration that C.S. Lewis gives. and I want to paraphrase it to, my, to the best of my ability. And he opens with the question, imagine that you are a living house. Now, if we're going to be real in this illustration, before Jesus comes into our life, we're, we're kind of a messed up house. It's one in need of some serious repairs. The wiring is old and may set fires if we turn on a light. There's mold in the vents. The windows are left ajar. So the rain's been coming on. The floors need to be changed. There's leaks in the roof. Like this is the reality of who we are before Jesus. And we invite him to come and live into this house. And, and we invite him in believing, hey, he's going to, do serious renovation. He's going to finally plug the leak. He's going to spray the mold and get it out of the vents. He's going to finally repair the floors and correct the windows. And you know what? When he moves into our, our lives, he begins to do some of those things and do just that. But then suddenly he begins to do stuff that's unpredictable. He comes over to this wall against the east side of the house and he breaks the wall down. And we're like, ow, what was that? And he says, no, no, I'm coming to add on a whole new wing to your house. And you know what? I'm going to build a second level above and a basement. And I'm going to put in gardens. And I'm going to come over here and kick this wall out. And we're going to add this whole new dining area. And he starts taking what we thought was our little safe place, like, just come in and fix me. And he starts expanding and making greater than what we could imagine. And C.S. Lewis closes this thought with this quote. It says, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. This is what God is doing through your whole life. He's not just coming in and just dealing with sin alone. He is also coming in to mold in you a powerhouse tool for his kingdom, a temple that he's going to dwell in, that he's going to to reach into places that no one else can reach. He is coming into your life with purpose. And the God who is in you is going to be doing this for the rest of your life. And he is faithful in his work. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 contains some of my very favorite verses in the whole Bible. And I want to read them with you guys. Paul is talking about attaining perfection, finally arriving and having it all together. And he says this, 
Not that I already obtained this, talking about perfection, talking about being that perfect palace, that finished work, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I am now his house. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, to have grabbed a hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and straining towards those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What goal is Paul talking about? What is he straining towards? What is he pressing on step after step in his life? Is it so that he can make more money? Is it so that his marriage can look better than everybody else's marriage? Is it so he can climb the ladder in his career? Is it so that he can have more stamps in his passport? Is it so that he has more hobby time so he can have a a better score at his golf game? What is the goal that Paul is living for that he is putting his whole life into? Notice where Paul's power and motivation and strength come from. Because I used to get hung up with him saying, I press on, and I do this, and I'm going to do this. And whenever I looked at it in the bigger context, I realized that he opens with the thought of Christ Jesus made him his own. As in Paul doesn't belong to himself anymore. Paul is no longer operating in his own strength, power, or authority. Paul isn't saying, I'm going to press forward in my own strength because I've got this. He's saying, I'm no longer my own. It's all in Jesus. Why? Go to the very end. It says, because of the upward call. The upward call. Consider the verse in Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So is he saying that that we work things out according to our good? No. Who works out things according to our good? The caller. The person who is in charge, the sovereign God, is the one who is working things together and is the sovereign God that is empowering Paul to strain forward towards that goal. And that goal isn't nearly as temporary and empty as the things that we live for. There is no power or strength in us. So I want to look briefly at the trajectories of two men's life in the Bible. And you've heard of these guys. You probably know their stories. But I want to kind of look at them in a new lighting. And they are Abraham and Lot. And when Abraham comes onto the scene, we just kind of get a genealogy that builds up to him. Abraham's dad, his name is Terah. And Abraham has two brothers, two younger brothers. His youngest brother is named Haran. And his youngest brother gets married, has a kid. But then Haran dies unexpectedly. So Haran's son, Abraham's nephew, Lot, moves in with Abraham's dad, Terah. Not long after that, Terah dies. So Abraham loses his youngest brother, and he loses his father in a pretty short relative period of time. And so Abraham takes Lot under his wing. And it was amidst this that God jumps into the story. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. We see all caps here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is actually the divine name of God in our scripture. It's the name of Yahweh. So let's look at this. Now Yahweh said to Abram, go 
Pause right there. Who initiated this? God initiated this. He's, he's the, the beginner and ender. He's the finisher of all things. Anytime that he's going to move, he's the one who initiates. Now, Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country. Listen to how, how slow it breaks this down. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I'll show you. Walk away from everything familiar, everything that you're accustomed to, everybody that you know, and leave. And just go. Where do I go, God? Start walking, Abram. Trust me. How will I know when I arrive? I'll let you know when you get there. Start walking. Abram was being called out of one season of his life, and he's being thrown into something totally unpredictable, totally sunk in change and fluctuation. This is Abraham. He is departing. He is going just like a lot of you guys are into the next season of his life. Let's keep going. And God gives him promises. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And listen to this. I'm blessing you for what reason? And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I am blessing you to be a blessing. So Abram, okay, so I I love this. I had a professor that told me, always pay attention to first speeches in the Bible. A first speech tells you a lot about someone's character. It's written that way. So God gives him this command, leave everything, go. And what's Abram's response? Verse four, so Abram went. Silent steadfast obedience just goes as Yahweh told him and Lot went with him. Why? Remember those three questions? Why, where, how? Why was he going? Because God called him. Where was he going? And how did he go? He went in obedience And he went with faithfulness. Who was the master of Abram's life? It wasn't Abram. Because if he was the master, he would stay right where his family was. He would thrive and prosper. He was already a man of wealth. Who was the God? Who was the master of his life? So let's see what Abram does. And this is fascinating. Genesis 12, 6 through 8. When they came to the land of Canaan... So God's like, okay, put on the brakes. When they come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh, or Morah, however you want to pronounce it. Now, anytime you see this, oak or terebinth, it's representing a pagan fertility idol. That's what they would set up at these oaks of Morah. Now it's here at this pagan idol spot. At that time, the Canaanites were the land. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring. Think that was an accident? To your offspring, I will give this land. And what does Abram do? I love this. So he built there an altar to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. So he's standing next to all these other worshipers, this pagan deity, this empty idol, and Abram builds his own altar to almighty creator God. Let's see what happens next. So he built an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. E-L-L is just a generic word for God. 
Like if you were said God in China, they would think of something different than if you say God in the United States or God in India or God in some place in Africa because it's just a generic word. It just means a deity, right? So that's their generic word, little g-o-d. Bet, B-E-T-H, means house. So he is he's parking at house of God, this pagan God. They dug up the city of Bethel and they found a huge temple to whoever their God was there. So he is there at a city called House of God with this big temple, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. So Abram journeyed on and still going towards the Negev. Wherever he goes, he parks at these pagan places and he builds an altar to Almighty God, the great I Am, the one who is when these are not. What's Abram doing? Why is he doing this? Out in this public place right next to these shrines. It's because wherever Abram goes, he is publicly, clearly giving glory to his God. That's significant to his character. Abram goes on to make crazy mistakes. But the story isn't over about his faithfulness. There comes a time whenever, because of his wealth and the wealth of Lot, they're in this really fertile place, but because their herds are so big, because of their wealth, their herdsmen start getting in arguments. And so Abram makes this really magnanimous offer to Lot. He says, look, we, we can't both coexist on this land. So what we're going to do is, look, come up to this high place, and I want you to look west, and I want you to look east. And I'm going to let you go and live. You can have wherever you want. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go west, I'll go east. And Lot looks both ways. And what happens? Genesis 13.10. It's nice. We're going to hear about Lot a little bit. Let's listen to Lot's character. Verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of Yahweh. So it's like, this is beautiful. It must be as pretty as the Garden of Eden. It's like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before Yahweh destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, that area of fertile ground has been scarred and desolate to this day. It took 700 years after Sodom and Gomorrah before they started living in that land again. So this is before Sodom and Gomorrah. It was still pretty then. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities in the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And now we get a little footnote about Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So where's Lot parking his tent? Outside of this place that's just a seething beehive of wickedness. But he's, I mean, he's out here. He's in his tent. He's in the little field. Got a little, little space there, right? So where is Lot going? If we were to ask those same three questions about Lot that we did Abram, where, why is he going? He's tagging on with Abram as long as it's convenient. Where is he going? He's going towards his own personal gain. And how is he going? Not great. I love this. Genesis 13, 14. And Yahweh said to Abram, (laughs) it cracks me up. After Lot had separated from him, God says this, it's almost like the same question or the same kind of language that that Abram used with Lot. He says, lift up your eyes, remember the same phrase, and look up from the place where you are, north, south, east, 
and west. For all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. You know how you gave Lot that land? Yeah, but Abram, I'm giving that to you too. God promises him everything that he sees. And Abram then travels to a new city. And what do you think he does when he gets to that city? Verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to Yahweh. It's consistent with his character over and over and over again. Now, Lot disappears from the scene for a little bit. And we have the story of Abram. He's not Abraham yet. And he's hanging out, I don't know, in his front yard. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's playing racquetball or something. That's stupid. And two men come walking by, and Abram recognizes who they are, that these aren't just normal guys. He recognizes them as angels from God. And he runs out to the path where they are, and he falls on his face before them, and he insists, like, come and let me make you a meal. And as he's sitting with these guys, God reveals to Abram through, through them that they are actually on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're about to investigate how evil the city is and then wipe it from the map. They're going to bring down God's wrath against their wickedness. And so my interpretation is that Abram's thinking of Lot that's nearby, and Lot begins to have this conversation with God. God, would you, famous line, would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if, what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Would you spare it? And God says, yeah. I'll spare it for 50. And he works 45. What about, what about 30? What about, and he finally comes down, what about 10? What if there's 10 righteous men? Would you still wipe out the city? Yeah, I'll spare the city for 10. And then Abram, it says that Abram went back to the place that he was staying. He, he like steps back. And these angels go, and if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's crazy and a little gross. And you know the outcome. And then, if you know, you got to just go read this. This is Genesis 13, 14, 12, 13, 14. It's wild stuff. But we see Lot's character in this. We see Abram's character in this. For some reason, because y'all remember what Abram, like Abram had problems. Like he told his wife, wherever city we go to, tell them you're my sister. At least two occasions, she was actually taken by another man because apparently she was hot at 65. Yeah, go Jack. Jackie. God's going to do it for you too. All right. It's crazy. The other one was when she was 90, was it 99 or something? Like, God has favor on his girls. Abram is lying through his teeth over and over and over again. How destructive could that be to his marriage? He tries to get ahead of God. And they come up with a plan about how he's going to sleep with his wife's servant to try to, like, hurry God's blessing along. Like, Abram was not a great guy. Lot is not a great guy. Why did God pick Abraham? I don't have a great answer to that. God chose Abraham because he chose Abraham. And Abraham was chosen because God chose him. If God had chosen Lot, he would have worked just as faithfully through Lot as he did Abram. For some reason, God called Abraham with all of his mistakes, with all of his flaws. So I want to ask you guys, because if you've given your lives to Jesus, then you have been called. How beautiful is that? 
If you've given your lives to Jesus, you have been called by him. There's three questions. You're about to transition out. Why will you go? Where will you go? How will you go? For Lot, why did he go? Because someone else was going. That's why he went. Where did he go? The place that someone else was going. Don't get tied in with other people. Don't just trail other people. It's not worth it. How did he go? He went attached to the world around him, and he was only self-interested. Wherever the next benefit was, that's where I'm going. For Abram, if you ask those three questions, why did he go? Because God called him. Where did he go? Wherever God took him. You may be in one place, and God says, I've got someplace else for you. And your faithfulness will be telling. How did he go? He went in three ways. He went with faith in who he served. He went with obedience to who he served. And he went with an outward declaration about who he served. You cannot be undercover Christians. Jesus is not looking for secret agent believers. Elevate, he's not looking for secret agent undercover believers. He needs lights of the world, not lights under baskets, hoping that someday it'll work out. We have to be clear, pointed, and bold about who we serve. We need to set up altars wherever we go. Elevate grads, you are not lots. You are called according to his purposes. And your life is no longer yours. When you said yes to Jesus, you forfeited your life. Most faiths, most people in general, they offer like inspirational quotes with the purpose of motivating others to live their best life now. But that's not the life of a Christian at all. Think of some of the things people say. Whatever you're living for, whatever you're going to do, do it with all your heart. Don't give up on your dreams. You can do anything if you just believe in yourself. We're like, yeah, put it on a poster. Make it go viral. Just do it. Those kinds of phrases are wholly, completely, entirely self-saturated. Every one of those kinds of thoughts are nothing more than you are your own purpose. But if you are your own purpose, you will never go when God calls you. Ever. You will never set up an altar next to everyone else's God. You will never be willing to be led blindly by a God who you trust implicitly. You're going to have to live for something more than yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a famous quote, and it's a painful one. It chips at me every time I think about it. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. Whenever you said yes to the Lord, it was God saying, come and die. And then I will raise you up. You'll be a new creation in me. That's what baptism means. You are dying to your old self, your desires, your purposes, your plans, your ideas for how you think your life should go, and then you come up soaked, different, covered in the Holy Spirit that is indwelling you. That's what that represents. 
that our lives are no longer our own. He bids a man, he bids a woman to come and die. Have you ever seen anything in Jesus' teachings or his example that was contrary to that? Have you ever seen anything in the apostles' lives or examples that was contrary to that? No, in fact, Jesus tells the disciples, if you want to become my followers, deny yourselves, take up your cross, your gruesome instrument of death, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Elevate grads. Why will you go? Where will you go? And how will you go? Just like Abram, you're going to depart to this next season of your life. Will you go with quiet faith in who you serve? Will you have a resolute obedience to who you serve? And will you give clear declaration to who you serve? Let's be honest. Maybe your answer is, uh, <laughs> well, uh, not really. Maybe I've like, been kind of creating this unreachable goal in this conversation between Abraham and Lot. But I'm not going to back down because I'm not quoting myself. Jesus laid out the highest expectation. Matthew 5.48 says, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's an unreachable goal. And if you don't think you're equipped, you're in good company. Paul wasn't equipped. Abraham wasn't equipped. None of Abraham's qualities were good enough. He was actually kind of lousy pretty often. None of his admirable qualities came because he himself was remarkable. But because God called him, God was faithful to lead him. Because God called him, he was faithful to empower him. And God is empowering each of you guys too. Second Peter 1, 3-4, I hope you'll grab a hold of this. For his, talking about God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us according to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through those promises you may become partakers in the divine nature that God is making you more like himself, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I can't live up to any of those expectations. I can't even live up to Abraham. None of us can. I want to offer you a little story. I want to give you a gift. I left in my car. I got to go get this thing. But it's a book called Love Does by Bob Goff. I give it to all our graduates for the last, I don't know, six years now. And there's a chapter. In chapter nine, he tells this story, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Bob is one of my three living heroes. He is a lawyer. He is also heavily involved in missions overseas to orphans, and he is a prankster. So he's my hero. And he pranks a friend of his named Doug. And what he does is he finds out that Doug and his wife are going to this very exquisite hotel. So Bob and his wife go to the hotel and check in under Doug's name hours before they get there. They go up to the room. They says that they dance. They enjoy themselves. They order $400 of room service through lobster and ice cream. And then they leave so that Doug can check in in the next hour or so. Who will have a great time until the bill comes when they're about to leave? And he'll be like, 
shouldn't have told Bob when we were checking in. Now, a year or so later, Bob gets a phone call, and it's this guy with this heavy accent, and he's like, Doug is trying to get retribution. And the guy with this heavy accent, once he realizes that it's Doug, he puts his hand on the phone, he talks to his wife and says, no matter what Doug says, I'm going to say yes. I'll let, let him feel like he's got me back. Okay, yes, what's that? And this guy says that he's some ambassador of an African country, and he wants Bob to, and he's, do you want to be an ambassador to Bob's like, yes, absolutely. I've been waiting for you to ask. Do you want to come to New York City uh, two days from now and meet me at this certain hotel? Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Good talk. Click. Bob buys a plane ticket. He goes to New York City. He goes to the hotel. He's in the lobby waiting, and an entourage comes in of a big, long limo with little Ugandan flags on the headlights, and they come in, march across the lobby, and Bob's like, I'm checking the exits. I'm like, shocked. And this guy with his thick accent puts his arm around me and says to his, the rest of his entourage, this is our ambassador of Uganda to the United States, guys. And Bob's like, yes. <laughs> I hope that you guys read this book. You're going to have so much fun. But I'm 100% sure that when God calls you and you step into this strange, changing, unpredictable season, his words for you aren't, Get everything right. His words are, would you just say yes? Would you be willing, whenever I say, now go? When he pricks your heart about someone or someplace, whatever the sacrifice, whatever the the, the loss of social credit would be, when he says go, you don't have to be perfect. Would you just say yes? You'll be surprised at what God will do with your yes. Why will you go? Where will you go? And how will you go? All right, recap. Boy, I love studying God's word. Isn't Abraham and Lot cool when you put them next to each other? Recap. Through the Holy Spirit and your circumstances, God is working in you to be perfect for himself. The work he's doing will be greater than you imagine or are comfortable with. Abraham left because he was called by God. He went where God was calling him. He went in faith, obedience, and outward clarity of who he served. We cannot live up to God's expectations. All we can do is say yes, and God meets his own expectations. If you are wanting to study God's faithfulness out a little more, I'd like to challenge you with the idea that just because we're Christians, we still endure suffering. Not everyone has the, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace and you get to walk out kind of story. I challenge you to consider God's faithfulness in suffering. And I pose this question. There's a man named Stephen in the Bible, and you can find him in Acts 6 and 7. Was God faithful when Stephen was stoned. Go check it out. All right, so everyone in the room, here are your three challenges. Seniors, graduates, looking at you in particular. Love you guys. Challenge number one, make a list of your priorities. What is actually the most important thing in your life? 
What is it? What is the most heaven-purposed thing that whenever you die, this remains? What is that highest priority? What is your second priority? What is your third, fourth, fifth, tenth? Where do you fall on that? Where are your friends? Where is the making of money? Where is everything else? Where is your priority list? Because your time, your treasures, and your energy are your greatest treasures, and you're going to put those towards your highest priorities. Decide what your priorities are. Number two, graduates specifically, pick a church. Pick some place that you are plugged in weekly, engaged, and you're going to take off work. You're going to do whatever it takes that you are there every week. Pick a church, graduates. And then thirdly, I had a very wise pastor once tell me that the sign of maturity in a human being is they're able to reproduce. The sign in a mature Christian is that you reproduce. So pick a church, serve at your church. Whether it's children's ministry, whether you're greeting at the door, whether you're involved in some sort of behind-the-scenes production, whether you're straightening chairs, scrubbing toilets, whatever it is, go on missions trips, serve. That is the difference between a baby Christian and a mature Christian is you ask the question, where am I serving in the body of Christ? Those are your challenges. What are your priorities? Pick a church. Serve. Heavenly Father, this was, in Jesus' name, all for your glory. It wasn't for Abraham's glory. It wasn't for some idealistic motivation speech. It was for your glory, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you will empower, that you will discipline, that you will lovingly direct our graduates. Lord, because if they will trust in you with all their hearts and not lean on their understanding, Lord, you will make their paths straight. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to hold you a little bit longer because I also want you to be able to hear from one of the most important people of our church, in my opinion, because I'm biased, but Chad Young is the young adult leader, and he is, if you're sticking around, one of the coolest people you need to meet, you need to hang out with, and you need to go and be a part of their young adult group. Chad, I'd love for you to come and share some of your wisdom with us. Sorry I talked so long. Love you all. What? Okay, so... I want to tell you a little bit about young adults and what we do at young adults. And then also I have a short game and then just share a couple of truths, I think, what the Bible says about who man is and who God is. And I will have you out by 835, I promise. Okay. All right. So uh, young adults. So what does it look like at our young adults gathering? So first of all, we uh, come together two or three times a month. We meet at our house in Thibodeau at 306 Price Lane. And uh, we will come together and we eat dinner. I don't know, tacos or fajitas or burritos or... Uh, I guess we have a lot of Mexican food. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll come together and have dinner, and uh, then we'll take time to, to read and study the Bible because we believe that the Bible is God's revelation to mankind, that it tells us everything that we know about or everything that we need to know about who God is, who man is, and how man draws close to God. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And we know that because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he is the one by whom we can draw close to the God Almighty. So we'll study Bible, draw together with our young adults. We love to to live alongside you and to equip you uh, and to make disciples. Now, 
After that, we usually have dessert. Ada, our daughter, is an awesome cook, and she usually makes us dessert. And then for the after party, we'll hang out. Sometimes we'll build a campfire, uh, hang, just sit around and chat, or often we'll play games. And there's one game that we play called uh, Poetry for Neanderthals. You ever seen this game? Ever played it? Who's played it before? All right, I need a volunteer to help me out. Who's going to volunteer? <laughs> you hit too hard, Morgan. All right, come on up. All right. So, you hold this. Have you played the game before? No. 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 All right, so uh, Poetry for Neanderthals is kind of like, um, what's it called? Catchphrase. It's kind of like catchphrase. Have you played that before? Okay, so I have some cards, and these cards have words on them, and I have to give you hints about give you uh, hints about what the words are. Let's move this so I can see people. I have to give you hints without using the word in a sentence, and then you have to guess what the word is on the card. You've played a version of this game, right? But the the uh, the difference in this game is that I can only use single syllable words, only one syllable. So could I use taco? No. No. Okay. That's two syllables, right. Um, and if I use a one, more than a one-syllable word, you hit me on the head with the club. Can no. You can say no. That's fine. Just give it a try. Try no. to. Okay. So you listen. If I use, if I use the, the word on this card, you hit me. Or if I use a, a two or more syllable word. Okay. All right? Okay. Okay. Are you ready to start? Please. Now, you guys have to guess the word that's on the card. You get that, right? All right, that's how we make a point. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, let's go. Um, all righty. Um, okay. No. <laughs> oh, so, so I lose that point. Uh, this is the uh, not same as public. No. Oh, okay, I lost that point. Um, not short. No, no. Uh, the along, yes. Uh, get this from um, Spider. Oh, oh, man. Okay. So that's the game, Poetry for Neanderthals. You get that, right? Now, the reason I do that is because I think that if we're really honest with ourselves, that the way that we think about God is, that, is the way that we think about Elijah. Not, I mean, Elijah's a godly guy, right? But that we think of God as somebody that sits and looks over our shoulder all the time, which he does. I mean, there's nothing hidden from God Almighty. But we, we think about God that he's always out to get us. That he's always out to, to hit us on the, bop us on the head when we make a mistake, right? Do you all think that way about God? Do you think that way about God, that he's, he's looking, going out to punish you uh, for all that you've done that's wrong? Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. You have your seat. All right, I want to read in Romans. I think that there are a couple of things, I'm sorry, not in Romans, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1. In fact, on July 30th, we're about to start a study of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, guys. Okay, so this is in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What does this say about man, about people? 
what does this say about people? Well, first, it says that we're incredibly blessed, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those that have been called by Jesus Christ and that have heeded his call in faith have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then it goes on to say well, that we're, we're chosen, but also that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I'm not holy and blameless. Actually, I do know about you too. You're not holy and blameless either. So what does this mean, that we should be holy and blameless? Well, just a couple verses later in Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. What does this say about who God is? That God forgives, that God redeems, that indeed we're not holy and blameless but that because of his work, and only because of his work, not because of anything that you've done, whether you use one-syllable words all day long, that it's not because of what you've done, but it's because of the work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh. That he did live here, that he did die, and that he was resurrected. And it's by that death that, that he pays the penalty for our sin. And it's our response in faith to him that makes us right to God. Not anything that we've done, but only by his work. He forgives and he redeems. Listen, in this game, one of, our young, one of our young adults plays it really well. He's like the best at poetry for Neanderthals that I've ever seen. He could, he could win the Olympics in poetry for Neanderthals because he has a really good vocabulary, he's very creative, and he's just quick on his feet with giving hints. So he's just very good at poetry for Neanderthals. And I've seen him when he has the club that he'll bop you on the head if you get it wrong, right? If you use a two-syllable word. But I've also seen that man sit next to a person and he will whisper hints into their ear. The opposite team, right? And he'll say, no, you should say this. And you should say this. And almost always that person gets more points because of the tips that he's given to him. And so, you know what? I think that God is, when he comes to us as believers, when we follow him, that sometimes he does bop us on the head. And thank God, because that's a discipline that we need. Because sometimes we act stupid, right? You act stupid sometimes, with two O's, stupid. Um, but he wants us to, to draw close to him. He wants us to be near to him. And he'll bop us on the head, but he'll whisper in, he's like, you know, this, this is what you do to follow me. So God forgives and he redeems. And then also, God makes known to us the mystery of his will. You know, we're coming to different purposes now like for four years you've been in high school and that's been your purpose to do whatever it is you do in high school Um, but always no matter what you do whether you're going to college or you're going to into a career or job or you're going into some family life that that always our purpose is constant that always we are to glorify God magnify his name and lift him up in Jesus Christ and so no matter what you do no matter what you do, that that's always to be your purpose. And that is the great mystery of his will, that according to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, I thank you for these people. I pray that that you will draw them close to you, that they will always know your discipline 
and that they will always know uh, your redemption and your forgiveness. Lord, uh, you have called them uh, since before the foundation of the earth that they might lift you up and worship you and exalt your name. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, grads, would you all come on up? Y'all come up to the middle of the stage, and then we're going to pray for you guys. Uh, Leaders, would you guys come up next? Come put your hands on these grads. What an awesome class. So many people and so many memories. And then now we got our leaders. Oh, parents, come. Parents, if y'all are here, come on up. And then also, if you are friends with the grads, you guys come on up. We're going to pray for them together. I mean, any, anybody who's friends, come on up. The more the merrier. Ooh, what a great idea. Hi. Man, I love you guys. All right, so what's going to happen is... Um, I'm going to have a parent pray. Jessica, would you mind praying? And then I'm going to have a leader pray. It's okay. There, you're back there. No one will see you. And then I'm going to have a leader pray. I'll put a leader on the spot. It's okay. <laughs> Cindy, you're going to pray. And then I would actually like one of my grads to pray. Um, anyone want to volunteer? Matt, you're going to pray for all the grads. You're not a grad? Oh, you graduated last year. What are you doing around here? Three years ago. What are you doing here? All right, Elijah's going to do it. Um, and, then, uh, and then I'll close. Um, Jessica, you okay? You, you breathing? All right. It's okay. You, you can go after Cindy. All right. You got it. You got it. You got it, Jessica. Heavenly Father, thank you for these amazing students. Thank you that you love them and you thought of them and you knit them perfectly in their mother's wombs. What a beautiful, amazing gift. What an amazing God you are. And Lord, I just ask that you would continue to grow the seed that you've placed in their hearts when they received you. Water that seed. Remind them, Lord, come loudly in their ear and come softly in their hearts and just Be ever-present in this transition, this time of moving from high school to career or college or family life, whatever path they're taking. Lord, sometimes it gets distracting. Um, These students are going to be hit with a lot of things that maybe they haven't seen or heard yet, and we just trust that you are doing a mighty work in their lives, and you will not return void the things that have been placed in them and the faith that they're growing I pray for each and every one of these students that among the, amidst the, the noise and chaos that your voice is the one that is the loudest and that you shine a light in the cracks of their heart and the cracks of their life 
that they would have the the knowledge and the wherewithal to to walk forward and to be obedient to what you're calling them for. Pray a special blessing over them and over the parents of these grads, and we just honor you with our lives, Lord. Amen. Lord, I thank you for bringing us all to Elevate tonight and allowing us to come together to celebrate these grads and these upcoming students that are coming into high school in the next few years. Thank you so much for all of the lovely uh, leaders that we have here, all of the future endeavors for these graduates and these seniors. We ask this in your name. Amen. Dear God, uh, thank you for getting us through high school. <laughs> um, God, as uh, as we move into adulthood, I ask that uh, in everything we'll just recognize uh, the gravity, the reality of who you are. Um, God, that we never take that lightly. God, that we would want you, truly want you. And take it seriously, because it's serious. We love you, God. Let that be true. Amen. Heavenly Father, may these men and women of God have a high view of you and a low view of themselves in comparison. Lord, I pray that that they would walk humbly, that they would walk in wisdom, that you would empower them. Lord, I pray that they would not be distracted, not looking to the left or the right, but their eyes would be centered on you all the days of their lives. Surround them with godly men and women, influencers and friends, Lord, that would continue to sharpen them every day. Lord, I pray that if you are calling them to be married, Lord, that you are going to mold and prepare that other person, Lord. Heavenly Father, as you call them into businesses, into um, mortgages, into all the crazy things, Lord, I pray that they just walk in wisdom, that they're more concerned with your will than they are with earthly wisdom, that they're more concerned, Lord, with honoring you than honoring the culture around them, that they lift high your name. Lord, I pray that they will run from sin and run to your arms. May they daily remember everything that you gave. May they be obedient to your word. Thank you, Heavenly Father for these men and women of God. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Y'all give the grads a hand. And I'm going to dismiss in about 30 seconds, but grads, would you mind sticking around with me for about just five minutes afterwards? I want to talk with you guys. And Matt, you're included, even though you graduated forever ago. I'd like you to stick around too. Love you guys. Elevate, go, be blessed, walk as light in the world. In Jesus' name, love you all. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.